I'm going to speak today primarily to the leaders in our church. But as I say that, I'm speaking to everyone here. Because who among us is not a leader? Maybe not in this church, but in your home, in your circle of friends, in your circle of influence. The title of my sermon today, To Fail in God's Cause. But I want to ask you, have you ever heard God speak to you? Maybe not in an audible voice, but have you ever felt that God was calling you to do something big? Maybe something a little bit outside your comfort zone. Have you ever set out to do what God asks you to do, only to have it backfire on you? You ever, you ever had that experience? God, you, you feel sure God is asking you to do something, but you start doing it and it just turns around and backfires. I see some of you smiling. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Sure, I mean, anytime you set out, to, set out to do what God asks you to do, you're going to face a little bit of opposition, right? We all expect that. But I mean, have you ever set out to do something in God's cause only to have it go so badly that even your closest friends and relatives have turned against you? Now, in Sabbath school, we've been studying about the life of Job. Now, Job was a man of God. We all, we all know that. We, we've seen how he followed God. He did nothing wrong, yet he faced a tremendous amount of opposition, supernatural opposition at that. Forces that were seemed to be bent on destroying his life. But now, Job wasn't actively, per se, on a mission for God. He was just living his life. He was serving God. He was praying for his children. We've we seen all that. And then, bam, you know, the devil attacks him. But do you suppose the story would be different if God had given Job a special mission, a special project to do? Don't you suppose if God had given him a special mission to do, God would have protected him a little bit more? I mean, after all, God wouldn't want his project to fail. For the next few minutes, I want us to look at a story in the Bible. The story of the life of a man whom God used to accomplish perhaps the greatest deliverance of all time. This man's name was Moses. You know the story. Moses was born in Egypt. He was born during a time of terrible oppression and slavery. God's people were being brutalized, victimized by this national system of repression, brutality. In fact, Moses himself miraculously escaped becoming the victim of infanticide at his birth. Only by a miracle of God. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace, but from childhood he knew he had a mission. He knew he was special. He was called by God to deliver God's people the people of Israel, to deliver them from Egyptian bondage. Now, of course, we know the story. At one point during his life, he, he was about 40 years old, I suppose, and he witnessed one of his Israelite brothers being mercilessly beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. Well, he couldn't take it anymore. His anger burst out. He, no one else was around. He killed the Egyptian, hid the body, and he thought, that was it. That was that. Of course, you know the story the next day. He hears the rumors gotten around, he flees for his life. He goes to the land of Midian and spends the next 40 years as a fugitive, herding sheep. And then God calls him. God calls to Moses through a burning bush. Moses and Aaron, go and speak to Pharaoh. So, reluctantly this time, Moses goes back down to Egypt. He's 80 years old at this point. Gone was his boastful pride. For 40 years, Moses had been herding sheep in the wilderness. But if Moses thought his hardships were over, he had better think again. 
So Moses and Aaron called together the leaders of the children of Israel, and they explained to them God's mission and how God had miraculously spoken to Moses and commanded Moses to go down and deliver this message to Pharaoh, let my people go. And that's where we pick up today's story in Exodus chapter 5. We'll be spending most of our time there, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. And I'll be reading from a, from a newer translation, but read along with me in the translation you have. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Moses knew who is the Lord. He had spoken to Moses through the burning bush. Moses had communed with the Lord in the wilderness. But you know, Pharaoh also knew the Lord. Or at least he had plenty of opportunity to. After all, Joseph, who was the son of Israel, was perhaps the most famed prime minister in Egyptian history. Joseph was a servant of the Lord God, Jehovah. God had miraculously preserved the nation of Egypt through the seven-year famine that had destroyed the people and decimated the surrounding people. Surely, Pharaoh had plenty of opportunity to know God. But instead, Pharaoh chose not to know the Lord, to set himself in defiance to the king of the universe. Who is the Lord, he says, And then picking up in verse 3, Then they said, Moses and Aaron, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. You see, Pharaoh didn't even treat Moses and Aaron any differently than as if they were, had just been slaves this whole time, and here they were, laying out of work. Pharaoh said in verse 5, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. You see, Moses and Aaron are presenting a very simple and very logical request to the king of, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Let Israel go to the wilderness and worship Let us just have a little time off work. We're not asking to to go forever. We're just asking for a little bit of time off work to go and worship. To worship our God, the God of heaven, lest we face God's wrath. After all, Pharaoh knew about the gods in Egypt, the false gods of Egypt. They were vindictive. They had to be appeased by various rituals and sacrifices. Here, Moses and Aaron are basically saying to Pharaoh, you need to have respect to our God too. You worship your gods the way they require, but you won't let us worship our God the way that we require. If we don't, we may face his judgments. And you know, it's very interesting too. What was it that Moses said God requires? And Pharaoh threw it back in their face. Rest. 
The way that God requires worship is simply to come away and to rest. In Mark 16, and sorry, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So many times in the Bible, and this would be an interesting study for another time, how many times does God call to his people to rest? Come away and rest. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews refers back to this story of the deliverance of Israel. And the key word that's used in that passage in Hebrews 4 and 5 is this word rest. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Just as we keep the weekly seventh day Sabbath in memorial of creation, in memorial of Christ's deliverance, the same way the children of Israel and we find this later in Deuteronomy, would keep the seventh-day Sabbath in commemoration of their great deliverance from Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That is the reason God gave in Deuteronomy. Because I've delivered you from Egypt. Rest. Rest on the Sabbath day because you have already been delivered. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh with a simple request. Let the people go and rest for a little while and worship. It's interesting how when Israel was delivered from Egypt... The issues at stake were twofold. Worshiping God and obedience to God. And specifically at issue was this issue of rest. God was commanding his people to rest. Pharaoh would not allow it. And so begins this showdown. Moses and Aaron are going head to head with the king of Egypt. Really, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is going head to head with the king of the universe. And so begins this showdown between the power of man and the will of God. Soon, ten terrible plagues are going to fall on the land of Egypt. Soon, Israel is going to be delivered and the oppressors destroyed. Now, in Bible prophecy, we read about a time that's coming in the last days when there's going to be another showdown over the very same issues. It's a showdown between those who obey God and receive his seal versus those who worship the beast and receive the mark of the beast. What are the issues at stake? The issue of worship and the issue of obedience. And even more specifically, if you look at it and study into the details of this this apocalyptic event, this apocalyptic time, is the issue of rest, of a weekly Sabbath, of the commandments of God. Then, as it happened in ancient Egypt, those who oppose God will ultimately face the seven last plagues, while those who worship and obey him will find rest in the heavenly land. But that's, that's a study for another time. But for now, Moses is standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh isn't about to make life easy for the children of Israel. Let's go back to our passage in Exodus chapter 5. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people. This is verse 6. 
Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. I'll show you, says Pharaoh. I'll show you who's the boss. Moses, he's just organizing a labor union, always demanding better pay and more time off. Huh? I'll make sure they have no more time for their labor union or their union meetings. Not enough of this monkey business. So Pharaoh puts a crushing, unreasonable demand on the people. He's trying to break their spirit because he simply refuses to acknowledge God. And he assumes that these, this request by Moses is simply the complaining of the people. And he retaliates not against Moses, but against all the people, mercilessly. In verse 10, So the taskmasters and the foremen, uh, King James says, the officers of the people, went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw for yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the, the, they're relaying the message onto the people. That's what Pharaoh said. You, you got to make the same number of bricks. They were basically making mud, you could say adobe uh, bricks. They would gather the mud on the banks of the Nile River, form it into bricks, and they would use straw, mix straw in with the mud. Uh, it, would, it would have two effects. It would make the bricks stronger so that they'd be less likely to crumble. And also, um, it would help them to dry a lot faster by having this other material in there. So here they have two options. Either they can make the bricks without straw, but then they're not going to pass quality control for one thing, and they're going to take a whole lot longer to dry for another thing, or they got to spend all their time going and hunting around for something to use in place of the straw. It's impossible. They can't get the work done. So the people are scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And verse 13 the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, the officers whom, Pharaoh, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all the task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Make bricks, make bricks, you got to make bricks. The same number as you always made. But I'm not going to give you the material to make the bricks with. You know, it's interesting. If you make bricks without straw, they crumble. In the same way, when man sets out to do something in direct opposition to God, without God's will, man's work is destined to crumble. So follow the story with me here. Verse 15. When the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why are you treating your servants this way? Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but it's not the fault of your own but it is the fault of your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. 
the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, and they said, You shall by no means reduce... Sorry. When, he said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. Here they are in a fix. Now, the, the, the structure, you get the structure. Okay, there's Pharaoh, and then there's the Egyptian taskmasters. And the Egyptian taskmasters are beating the people and beating the officers. Now, the officers are the, or the foremen are actually Israelites. They're the Israelites that, that Pharaoh had put in charge of the other workers there, the other slaves. And so he's beating the bosses, the, the Israelites, and beating the, all of the slaves because they're not able to accomplish their, their work and get their quota in. Everyone is beyond upset at this point. And everyone, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and especially the foremen, are getting angry at two men, Moses and Aaron. The Israelites hadn't been complaining to Pharaoh. The Israelites themselves hadn't gone to Pharaoh. But of course, Pharaoh saw Moses and Aaron as speaking for the Israelites. But they're all saying to Moses and Aaron, why, why, why did you get us in this mess? We were okay before. I mean, we were repressed, sure. But now it's impossible. This is, this is a mess. Why couldn't you just leave us well enough alone? So anyway, the foreman had gone to Pharaoh they presented their case. They said, why are you treating your servants like this? And Pharaoh says, go, go back to work. I'm not going to help you. You're asking for time off. I'm not going to help you. So here they come, the foreman, out of Pharaoh's palace, tail between their legs, so to speak, and mad as you can believe. And who do they meet as on their way out of the palace door? Moses and Aaron, verse 20. And they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us to stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Whoa! Them are fighting words, aren't they? (laughs) Read between the lines here. Moses and Aaron pretty much got a cussing out. By by their brothers, the the foremen of the children of Israel. It's all your fault, Moses. Go back to the sheep. You've made enough trouble for us for a second time. And then in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Moses has no response for the foreman. He has already told them everything God has said. He has moved forward in faith, doing exactly what God instructed him to do. And it appears that his work has ended in absolute and miserable failure. Imagine the grief Moses must have felt in seeing his beloved people of Israel persecuted like this. Now, if Pharaoh had lashed out and attacked Moses... I think Moses could have handled it better. Really. And those of you who are parents here, or who are leaders here, you know what I'm talking about. If Pharaoh had taken and stripped Moses down and beaten Moses like that, Moses could have handled it better than to stand there and see all of the leaders, all of the foremen of Israel, being beaten and crushed down as a result of his message, God's message to Pharaoh. 
And now even his own people were turning against him and blaming him. You've put a sword in their, in their hand to kill us, they said to Moses. You know, the road to deliverance always gets harder before it gets better. But Moses, and I, I, I'm not going to really go into the rest of the story in chapter 6, but I want us to read the message Moses goes to God with his plea why have you done evil? Why have you sent me? And God, here's God's response in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as an heritage. I am the Lord. God says to Moses, Don't give up. I am the Lord. I haven't left you. This isn't the end of the story. Keep trusting me. When the going gets hard, when everyone seems to be against you, don't give up. Has God given you a job to do? Has God given you a family to raise? Has God given you a friend to bring to him? Has God given you a position of leadership in one way or another? Has God given you a job to do and you've set out to do it and it seems like it ends in utter and absolute failure? I think we've all been there at a time in our lives. Moses was there. And I think so often we go through this story and we pass over this story and yeah, 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 and, and but we see the great deliverance. And we, and, and we don't... Moses, at this point in his life, he did not see the deliverance of... Egypt. He, did, he couldn't go to Exodus and read about the crossing of the Red Sea. That was still in the future. All he had was this knowledge, this encounter with God that he had there at the burning bush. And then as we read in Exodus 6, this second encounter, this other encounter, God was speaking to him, but Moses had to go forward in faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is our last verse here. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to turn with me to verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You see, Moses couldn't see the end from the beginning. God can, but Moses couldn't. And you and I can't. We have to accept God's, God's word by faith. By faith, it says in verse 27, that he forsook Egypt, 
not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, Moses led the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. But every step of the way, it seemed as though they, he faced another insurmountable obstacle. Have you ever heard the saying that man's extremity is God's opportunity? Perhaps it is that when God leads you to a point in your life when you feel like you can go no further, that's the point God wanted to lead you to so that he could show his power in deliverance. Friends, when the going gets hard, when everyone seems, against, seems to be against you, don't give up. Because God, if you are on God's side, if you are working in God's cause, he will not let you fail. It may appear that you have failed, but he will not let you fail. Deliverance is right around the corner. If you believe that, my brother, my sister, I want you to stand with me as we sing our closing hymn. And it's not in your hymn book, but you should have a paper in your bulletin. Courage, brother. It's an old song. I think a lot of us know it. Courage, brother, do not stumble. Though thy path be dark as night, there's a star to guide the humble. Trust in God and do the right. Though the road be long and dreary and the end be out of sight, tread it bravely, strong or weary. Trust in God, trust in God, trust in God and do the right. O loving Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for how you lead us each day and moment by moment. Lord, I just pray that when it seems like you've led us on a, on a road to failure, that you will come through in great deliverance, as you have done for Moses and the children of Israel in time of old. Help us to trust in you. Though the path is long or dreary, though the end is out of sight, may we trust in you and do the right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.